If you were to be asked to go out to the airport to pick up a friend of mine that you had never met before, your natural question would be, what does he look like? Got to spot him out of the crowd. And if I were to answer to you that my friend is gentle and kind and soft-spoken, that he cries at romantic movies and... uh, and such, you would say, here, here, that will not do. Uh, I need to know what he looks like. And if I were to tell you, well, he's six foot two, and he has dark hair and um, large feet and uh, a couple things like that, you would be better handled to find my friend at the airport. We have to do that because that's all we see. At least, first of all, is first appearances a body type, if you will, or the facial features. That's, that's just how we do as humans. Uh, if I were to ask you to describe what a Christian looks like, what would you answer me? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Uh, would he have a particular haircut? Would he have a beard or not a beard? What clothes would this Christian wear? What would he appear like? That's a relevant question, because in our religious scene, there are certain sects, if you will, uh, of Christianity that you can spot them a mile away, whether their dresses are super long and hair done up a certain way. You can see that they're a part of this church or that church. Nothing wrong with any of that, I suppose. But what do Christians actually look like? They look like people. How does God pick them out? I'm not sure that he ever meant for us to physically look different than the culture that we live in. Now, I know there's extremes to that particular case, and there are limits that aren't to be pressed. Women need to look like ladies, and men need to look like men and all. I'm not forcing that issue, but ask yourself, how does Jesus look at disciples and believers in Christ. How does he view them? Go with me, if you will, to John chapter 10 in some of the most precious verses that have ever been written, some of the most precious things that have ever been spoken. These verses play out for me in a very precious way because after I came to Christ, At age 19, many years ago, these were the first verses that I was handed to memorize. I was handed a pack of verses to memorize as a brand new believer in Christ. And this was the first verse, chapter 10, down at verse 27. Jesus describes us as sheep. And listen to these precious words in addressing the Jews. And he had just said a very hard thing to these men. He says, you you do not believe because you are not one of my sheep. Now we would spin that around and say that you're not one of my sheep because you don't believe. But God eternal sees it the other way around. Interesting. That the reason they don't believe is that they're not a part of the fold. Now, I know that sends us down certain theological questions that we won't engage in this morning. 
But that's the way the verse reads. You do not believe because you're not one of my sheep. Well, what do his sheep look like? Do they have beards or not? Is their hair cut a particular way? Do they always wear suits to church? Do they have tattoos or not tattoos? What do these sheep look like? Well, he doesn't really answer that. Look at verse 27. This is what he does answer. My sheep. Let's stop right there. How precious it is to be his. I am his possession and he is mine. He is my beloved, and I am His. Hallelujah. I am His. We could just stop the sermon and go home right now. You won't be that lucky, but... I am His, and He is mine. Let hell throw what it will toward me. Let the demons mess with me. Let, let, Let... Men ridicule and be sarcastic toward the faith. I am His. Let all the world wag their finger at me and talk to me about how much of a failure I am. I am His. That's all I care about. My sheep. Well, what about my sheep? First of all, they hear my voice. Now notice, if you will... Notice, if you will, he doesn't say they hear my words. Because lost people can hear the words of Jesus by simply reading the Bible. Some of you are hearing the words of Jesus as he's speaking here in the text. My sheep, hear my... And you're listening to those words, but Jesus didn't say that. He said they they listen to my voice. A voice is different than words. I want you to run an experiment right now, and it's going to take a few moments, but I think it's worth our labor. I want you to close your eyes very tightly and promise me that you won't open them. It's like saying, don't touch the wet paint on the bench. I know you really want to, but I want at this moment to close your eyes very tightly And don't look at all. Everybody got their eyes closed tightly? Everybody got their eyes closed. Keep them closed. No cheating. I'm going to let one of our congregation read to you a verse. And without looking at this individual, I want you to identify who it is. No looking. If you looked, you don't look. Read verse 1. Truly, truly, I say unto you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbeth up in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. With your eyes still closed, I want you to tell me who just read that verse. You can open them now. Anybody knows this other man. I know, well, I 
I picked an easy one, Steve. <laughs> you didn't have to see him, did you? You knew his voice. You pick up the phone and someone answers, you pretty much can identify him. My question to you is, do you hear and know the voice of Jesus when he speaks to you? If you're his sheep, you know it. You know it when you read it out of the text, and you know it when he speaks to your soul. What he speaks to your heart will never violate this book right here. He mostly talks to you from right here. Read it, and he'll talk to you. He said, the words that I speak unto you, they are words of life. Because he lives in you by his Holy Spirit, when you read this, he talks to you from this. He is alive. This isn't a book of the past. This is a living word. He is the living word. And he speaks to you. Do you hear him? There are three things needed for a voice. There is first oxygen that must come from the lungs. As gas is to a vehicle, air is the fuel of the voice. They tell singers to breathe. <laughs> breathe while you're singing. Because you need air to force through those vocal cords. You need your lungs. Second of all, you need a set of vocal cords. The larynx. The vocal for folds that vibrate. They're different in males and females. Did you know that? And they're just simply different in the size. Men have larger larynx. Women have smaller ones. That's why men have deeper bass voices. That's it. So they need that vocal cords to vibrate. That's the second thing. The third thing you need for a voice is the apparatus of a tongue and teeth and a mouth to articulate the sounds coming out. Isn't that interesting, the stamp of the triune God on the voice? The air and breath of the Spirit. The vocal cords of the Father and the articulation of the mouth, tongue, and lips of Jesus Christ. And He speaks to us. First thing about my sheep is not the length of their hair. It is that they listen to my voice. Now, there are a lot of voices. You know that, don't you? There's the voice of your own soul, of your own flesh, which mostly misdirects us and tells us the wrong messages. And then there are messages from other people that are just about as useless as can possibly be most of the time. But then there's the voice of Jesus Christ. Listen to him. You will never go astray. You will never make a bad turn when you listen to his voice. Notice the second thing he says about his sheep in verse 27. My sheep, oh by the way, did you know your ears are about the only thing on you that you can't close up? Try it. Close your ears without using your fingers. You can close your eyes. You can close your mouth, which is usually a good idea for you and I. I'm not sure about the nose, but you can't do much with your ears. God gave you a hole that can't be shut. 
Because he has a, a message that he wants you to hear from him. Interesting, isn't it? Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. The second thing about them is I know them. What's interesting here is the word knowledge or know is progressive in nature. It is not full and complete. Now Jesus knows us in a full way. But this is a, watch this, this is a relationship that's developing as you are sanctified, and as you grow in grace. And in essence, He knows you completely, but He knows you more every day. Isn't that reassuring that He knows us? Isn't that the great, great thing, is to be known and to know? He knows you. (laughs) No skeleton will pop out of the closet to surprise Him. No move in the future will ever shock him and disappoint him. He knows you. I've lived with Karen for well over 30 years. I feel like I know her. I almost know what she's going to say before she says it. I know when she walks into a room what she's thinking most of the time. I can watch her face and tell it in a heartbeat. I finish her sentences sometimes, which irritates her. I know her. Well, once in a while, she'll surprise me. Not normally. We went and watched a movie last week, and her phone came up missing, and I knew where it was immediately. It was at the theater. Sure enough, at 11.45, the manager of the theater called me. Hi, do I have your phone? (laughs) We know. He knows us that intimately. Look at verse 27. And they follow me. Yeah. There it is. I love Christianity and the Bible because it's so simple. Men make it complex, but God made it very simple. They hear my voice. I know them. And they follow me. I love that. They don't follow men. Now they'll follow men as they follow Christ in leadership, but ultimately their following is never ultimately to men at all. It's always their allegiance to Jesus Christ. Any leader within a church that pulls your allegiance away from Christ himself grabs the glory away from God and is in deep sin. Anyone who leads you spiritually Their only desire is that you hear and follow Jesus Christ, period. Well, let's read on. We won't take as much time in the rest of the verses. That's just so precious to me. Verse 28, and I give them. (laughs) He didn't earn it. He says, I give it. I offer it as a free gift. I give to the worst of you. Notice it says, I give them, my sheep, life eternal. That's not longevity. That's Zoe life. That's the life of God himself living in our chests, in our lives, in us. Not next to us, in us. I give them. Period. No religious duty to be performed. 
No spiritual discipline to be pulled off. He gives them eternal life. Notice, and they shall never perish. Never. The never in the Greek is emphatic. It could be rendered never, never. Twice. You are eternally secure in Jesus Christ if you know him. You know, the greatest need of a child in a home growing up from age zero really on up is not love. It's security. They need to know mom and dad aren't going anywhere. They need to know mom and dad aren't hurting them or abandoning them. The greatest need of sheep is to know that the shepherd will never allow them to be hurt in terms of perishing. Now we'll go through a lot in this life. We'll go through a lot in this life. But we never can lose him. Notice he goes on to say about this perishing because obviously it's very important to us. And no one, no one will snatch, the old King James says, pluck them out of my hand. I love that, don't you? How big are his hands? I'll try a little experiment up here. It won't last long, but I'll give it a shot. There it goes. The lights got me. Let me just try it with two. There's only so much we can do with our hands. Ed, bring up, grab the other tangerine and throw it up in the air. Let's give this thing a shot, okay? And keep an eye on it. Keep an eye on it. Throw it up in the air. that's it that's all I can do right there my hands are limited his hands are not there's none of his sheep that ever perish you know certain shepherds have really big folds of sheep and if they lose one or two here to some lions it's what's what's the big deal they got lots but his flock he knows each one of us And he gives to us the life of God, and we will never, never, never perish. These are the first verses I learned as a Christian. Put me on solid ground. Well, if that wasn't strong enough, look at the rest, verse 29. My Father, who has given them to me. Catch that? See it? You are a gift. From the Father to the Son. You are His gift. The Father that gave them to me, He, I take it, is greater than all. No one. He has to say it again because we're nervous, aren't we? No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Beautiful. Worried about your eternal security? Worried about maybe some sin in the future sending you down a path where you're going to miss heaven? Some preacher in the past held that over your head? Here are the words of Jesus Christ when he says, You are in my hand, 
You are in the Father's hand. Nobody can touch you. Not the worst man on the planet. Not the worst demon in hell. Not even yourself. You know that. You can't even get yourself out of these hands. Pull and scratch all you want. The elect are the elect. And they are eternally secure. Now some would hear this teaching and preaching and go, Oh, you can't tell people that. How are you going to get them to live righteous now? Well, that's why the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. That's why the life of Christ has been given you. For you to see your high possession of all that and to live to that level with His life in you. Knowing you can never escape God's love and care. Knowing that in His hands you are secure. You will either listen to the sound of your own heart saying, How can this be true? Or you listen to the voice of the shepherd saying, You are mine. Period. Exclamation point. End of story. We are as good as if we were in heaven this morning. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, He has you in the palm of His hand. That's what, your, that's what His sheep look like. When I was a teenager, I had an argument with a pear tree. It's a strange event. It, lived, it, it grew across the road from me on North Grand Street. I enjoyed pears year after year. I walked by it one time and it spoke to me. I was 16 years old and it said to me that I am an apple tree. And I turned to the pear tree and I said, No, sir, you are a pear tree. And he said, You are mistaken. You are obviously an adolescent whose brain hasn't developed yet. I am an apple tree. I said, No, sir, you are a pear tree. He said, What makes you think of that? He said, because I said to the tree, you have pears on the end of your branches. He said, ignore those. What really matters is in my heart, I am an apple tree. Soon after, my parents sent me for evaluation. (laughs) Yeah, they wondered why I sent so many hours on the bridge down in the back of our property with feet dangling off the bridge, staring into the water. It's Anyway, I overcame those visions. A man can tell you anything. He can say he's a follower of Jesus Christ. He can say it. He can say, I believe God. But his sheep hear his voice. His sheep are not overly concerned with knowing Him primarily because the great focus is He knows me. You may view yourself as a very weak sheep. You know, it doesn't matter because you've got a very strong shepherd. He won't let the weakest of His sheep go anywhere. So, So a true sheep isn't so concerned by how much I know the shepherd He is overwhelmed with how much the shepherd knows me. And thirdly, a true sheep follows him. 
not their own fleshly dictates, not the voices of other men. They're following Jesus Christ as if they and Christ were the only two in all the universe. Do you know him today? Let's see the, let's see the reaction of the Jews. It's interesting. He ends with this statement. I and the Father are one. These are some of the most authoritative pronouncements in all that ever rolled off the lips of anyone. Jesus said, I give them eternal. How can Jesus give somebody the life of God if he is not God himself? Second of all, he said, I and the Father. The Greek in the R-A-R-E is plural. Literally, it says, "I I and the Father, we are one. There you have the distinctiveness of the separation of the persons of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are as if we are separate persons, and yet they are of the same nature, of the same essence, because the word one is singular. Herein in this verse came all the rich theology out of the early church in battling Arianism that taught that Jesus was not God and taught that and the other extreme of heresy that taught that there is only one person God the Father herein is the verse I and the Father we are one of essence incredible verse you want your verses to to teach the Trinity, there it is, among many others. What did the Jews do? They picked up stones. As I referenced last week, and we'll stop there, they picked up stones. They didn't literally pick up stones. They cared. The word pick up means to bear or to carry. They brought stones to stone him. Their original question was not to find out truth. Their original question was to bait him into an answer whereby they could condemn him and kill him. They brought the bricks to the party. Their intent was to kill. 